1: Welcome to On The Rock, God's Unchanging Word for Changing Times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's Word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On the Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead
0: by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It is an important event in the life of Jesus. And in today's program, we're going to continue to learn the Gospel of Matthew. Because what Jesus did, we should do also. It's called Baptism. Our series is entitled, The Kingly Messiah, Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. And the Gospel of Matthew, beginning of the New Testament, tells of the powerful, wonderful life and ministry of Jesus, and how Jesus, through the fulfillment of numerous Old Testament prophecies, is proven to be the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, and of the world, the soon-coming king. So, we're going to deal with the baptism of Jesus, found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. And I want to just quote to you from verse 15. John the Baptist is taken aback that Jesus wants to be baptized by him. He says, oh no, really? The fact is, I should be baptized by you, implying that Jesus was far more righteous than John, And let's face it, John was a very, very righteous man. He was like an Old Testament prophet. But Jesus makes this statement. Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, which means he allowed him. Let us allow this thing for now. Because it is becoming fit and proper that we do this. Because by being baptized, it is fulfilling all righteousness. Of course, What we're getting at is that John the Baptist was baptizing people, a baptism of repentance. And these people were making restitution, bearing fruit of repentance, meaning they were departing from an ungodly lifestyle, and then they were submitting to the waters of baptism. Well, this didn't apply to Jesus. He didn't have to confess any sin because he didn't have any sin. He's the only sinless one that has walked on the face of the earth. And the Bible is very clear on this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3, verse 23. So John didn't see any need for this perfect, holy, righteous man named Jesus of Nazareth to be baptized. And yet, as we're going to learn, Jesus did it anyway to set an example for us all. And that by baptism in water, he was to fulfill all righteousness. Not just his baptism, but all our baptism. And so this is the story of the baptism of Jesus. It also tells about his leaving Galilee, coming to Judea and the wilderness around the region of Jericho on the northern shore or near the northern shore of the Dead Sea, lowest point on the face of the earth, this, this uh, northern shore, and 400 meters below sea level, if you want to know the statistic. Jesus comes out of Galilee and, he goes and meets John. He wants to be baptized. After initial reluctance, John accedes to this baptism. And then Jesus is baptized in the water after saying it fulfills all righteousness. Now remember, as it says in 1 Peter two twenty one, Christ is our example. He's an example in living, example in suffering, example in responding, example in righteousness. Basically, he's an example in everything. And so, you cannot go wrong following the example of Jesus. But what makes this so intriguing is that after Jesus is baptized, fulfilling all righteousness, something amazing happens. It's what I call the public debut of the triune God for the first time, In history, certainly the first recorded debut. I can't think of where else it would have happened, but it happened right here at the Jordan at the commencement of Jesus' ministry. You not only see Jesus the Son present, you see the Holy Spirit come upon him like a dove. And then, last but not least, you hear the voice of the Heavenly Father speaking from heaven and saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let's read now the entire passage of Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. The lesson is called Baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 to 17, and our lesson is called Baptism of Jesus. Here is some background. We have John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, commences a short but powerful ministry in the Judean wilderness at the Jordan River, preaching and conducting baptisms of repentance. People come from near and far to confess their sins and to be baptized by John in the Jordan, he strongly rebukes the Pharisees and Sadducees who came to him saying, judgment is on the way and only repentance with accompanying fruit can avert it. All this lays the stage for Jesus's first public appearance before the commencement of his ministry. With this, we have the coming of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. After all this, Jesus comes from Galilee to Jordan so he can be baptized by John. What is not said is that Jesus is leaving Nazareth, and his carpentry work, and his normal family, and his normal associations in Nazareth and in Galilee, so as to begin a ministry that will impact the world 2,000 years later. Baptism is like a one-way door. We leave the old life behind, and enter into a new life. Many ways unchartered, but At the same time, it is guaranteed to be a blessing. Then we have what is called John's reluctance, Matthew 3.14. What is John reluctant about? Uh, This is a very bold preacher. He calls the spade a spade. He addresses Pharisees and Sadducees as brood of vipers and says to them, Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? He's very confrontational also with his uh, leader, actually He's not a Galilean, so it's not his leader, but Herod Antipas, who was Jesus' political leader in Galilee. Herod Antipas had married his brother's wife Herodias, and John rebukes him. It's not right for you to have her as a wife. So John was not, as we say, backward in coming forward. Now he's almost speechless when Jesus of Nazareth comes to the Jordan to be baptized of him. And I can understand that, as we explained earlier. John is greatly troubled at the presence of Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He realized that this is the one whose shoes he was not worthy to carry. Such a sinless, holy, righteous one does not need a baptism or repentance for sin. Indeed, John adds that it is he who should be baptized by Jesus, and not the other way around. The moon cannot shine brighter than the sun. So John's reluctance is understandable. however, Jesus insists in Matthew 3.15. He calmly and confidently tells John, let it be this way for now. Why? Why for now? It is proper and fitting and appropriate for us to do this baptism in order to fulfill all righteousness. Now, since Jesus did not need to repent, why the baptism? To fulfill all righteousness. As I mentioned earlier, 1 Peter 2.21 tells us that Christ is our example. Now, he's our example in all kinds of things, but in a sense, that example begins when Jesus makes his public appearance with John at Jordan, and he submits to the waters of baptism. Baptism represents the death of the flesh and worldly life, that's when you go into the water or go down. And then when you rise up out of the water, it represents a new spiritual life. Since water baptism was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us, too. With this explanation, John was won over, and he agreed to baptize Jesus. I might as well take this opportunity to give a plug for water baptism. Water baptism today, for Christian believers, is not so much we do it for repentance, And to be saved because we already have meant to have repented and we already are meant to be saved this is now a believer's baptism not an unbeliever coming to faith but of someone already believing we learn in romans 6 we are identifying with the death of christ and the resurrection of Christ through water baptism. We go down into the water representing burial, like Jesus. We then rise up out of the water as a resurrection. We are identifying with Christ through water baptism. We are putting on Christ through water baptism. We're making a public announcement or proclamation to the world, not through words, but through action, that we're breaking free from our old life, our old ways, and yes, our old religion. Now, if water baptism seems to be just a simple, symbolic ritual, why is it so fiercely opposed in so many places of the world? Sometimes in the Western world, but even more in places where Christians are a minority. I hear of stories all over the world of people you know, being persecuted, not when they came to Christ, but when they were baptized. I might even just add that the first water baptism I ever did happened to be in Mumbai, India. It was called Bombay back then. It was the niece of a very prominent Indian. I won't say anything more who this person is or even what his career was. She was a niece, and of course she came from another religion in India. She wasn't born into a Christian family. And there was such concern about her having a public baptism, like out in the ocean or somewhere that people could see, because of the notoriety of her uncle. So we had to do it in her uncle's home. He wasn't, of course, there, in the bathtub. And yes, there were witnesses, and that was probably enough. But I do remember there was such a concern about this. Now, what could be the problem of having a person go into some water, like a lake, a river, even the ocean, getting dunked in the water and coming out. Why is that such a threat to others? Well, I believe for a simple reason. As said earlier, water baptism recommends, or shall we say, represents a clean break from the old life, and yes, from the old religion. And the spiritual principalities and powers that are incumbent on a nation or a region or city will be very upset. At this break, it's as if we've lost a captive, we've lost a fellow soldier here, and we're not losing them without a fight. And so the spiritual principalities and powers can work on people, stirring them up and getting them to oppose those who want to do the righteous thing by following Jesus in the waters of baptism. But to just wrap this up, let me say that water baptism represents, among other things the formal start of your Christian discipleship. It's very difficult to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been water baptized. I mean, what's the excuse? What are you waiting for? Did you repent? Do you believe? Is he your savior? Do you believe he rose again from the dead? If you do, then you need to be water baptized. If you want to grow in Christ and be a fervent and fruit-bearing disciple, this is your first step. So I encourage you, contact your local pastor and let it get done. That's called fruit of repentance, or good fruit for God's glory. Our last issue here, or last, shall we say, verses, chapter 3 of Matthew 16-17, to the triune God. As Jesus prepares to commence his ministry, we see a most remarkable thing. The triune God making their first known public appearance. This has never happened in Scripture, and as far as I can tell, never happened in history till the baptism of Jesus. First you have Jesus baptized in the Jordan River. Sources say it was most likely on the east bank of the river and not far from where that river, Jordan, enters into the Dead Sea. Then he comes immediately out of the water. As he comes out of the water, the most remarkable thing happens. The heavens open, and there is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, in this case, is in the form of a dove, which represents gentleness and peace, but also strength too. And this dove, which is really the Holy Spirit, comes and lands on him. This must have been a very impressive sight of itself. And I would say that this represented the anointing that was coming on Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ. And Christ and Messiah, Greek and Hebrew, means the anointed one. And then something else happens. You have the voice of God the Father speaking straight out of heaven. This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. So you now have God the Father speaking from heaven, God the Son coming out of the waters of Jordan after his water baptism by John, and God the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove. All three personalities in the Godhead are converging at the Jordan River and making a public appearance. From here and this event, this glorious, righteous event, Jesus will go forth to the wilderness and the ministry, praying always to the Father and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, our lesson is called Baptism of Jesus. And our lesson for life is, if you want to be a God-pleaser, then let Jesus be your example, and go and get baptized. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations, Education, and thank you for liking our page. Also, go to our homepage to subscribe to the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter, bringing future-ready advice to your inbox monthly with articles from the Bible, Victorious Christian Living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the baptism of Jesus, for the example He set, for the manifestation of the triunity of God, and that, Lord, help us now to be faithful, to start our walk of discipleship with our own water baptism, and to bear fruit in every season as we grow in the knowledge of God through Christ the Lord.